part of my activism, uh, part of my reason for being an activist, no one ever talked to me about these things, that I had to come about this information on my own. And that is upsetting, you know, as well, that no one ever talked to me. You know, when everybody wants to make fun of vegans for, you know, for, for talking about this stuff, you never know who you're gonna talk to that's going to call you up and profusely thank you for changing their life. So even if it's one out of 10 people or one out of 100 people, who cares? You know, if you can change somebody's life by giving them the information that's been hidden from them their entire life, then I'll talk to every single person that I come across. John Adamson and I am Christina, your host. Welcome to another episode of Follow Your Kind podcast. So very excited to bring you this conversation with John. Uh, John Adamson is the founder and owner of Neon Tiger, this really cool, hip, concept-driven restaurant in Charleston, South Carolina. If you're in the area, you absolutely have to visit. Neon Tiger just won the best new restaurant in Charleston. If you know anything about the food scene and the level of competition there, you know that goes a long way. They're located right on King Street, which also goes a long way because that's the main street there. And they have a remarkable and tastefully crafted drink menu. And oh wait, it just happens to be vegan. I went there last time when I was in Charleston with my mom. Some of you may know my mom still lives there and I go to visit her there quite often. And uh, uh, my mom is not vegan, but she went to the restaurant with me and I'm pretty sure she probably enjoyed it more than I did. So of course, I had to meet the person behind that wonderful food and the atmosphere and that's how I met John. It was pretty clear right away that John is not messing around. He's very passionate, very straightforward, um, very determined. So uh, we exchanged the contact information and we reconnected later for nearly two-hour conversation, um, the result of which you're about to hear. But I was very curious and I had a lot of questions. I, I lived in Charleston, South Carolina for several years when I was uh, doing my undergrad in the College of Charleston. I actually worked in 82 Queen. Um, shout out to all my friends and uh, co-workers at 82 Queen and Puget's Porch. Um, and uh, I knew that Rare Bit was a big deal. Rare Bit was a restaurant that um, John helped develop before that. And it was just fascinating to me. I wanted to know how the transition happened for John and, and what the concept looked like and what was it like to open a vegan restaurant in a foodie town that has nothing to do with veganism. So one of the things that stood out to me the most about John is that he's a visionary. Since he started his first restaurant in 2001, which was a mellow mushroom, he opened 10 restaurants and bars with the latest being Rare Bit, as I mentioned, and the Americano. For those of you who may be familiar with the area, probably heard those names. They're quite popular. And Neon Tiger was his latest creation um, and art project, you may call. Uh, so it's set up as a glitch in the metrics it's set up in 2048 and the oceans are dead at that point and most wild, wild animals are extinct as well and hence the name neon tiger because there are no real tigers around and if you walk through the restaurant you may notice subtle but very powerful messaging displayed displayed in every element of design and i say subtle because they're 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 out there offered to us but they're not forced and a curious customer may notice them but at the same time, it's not right there in your face. We cover all of the details of this in this conversation with John. I ask him many questions about his personal journey. Um, and uh, 
I, as always, we talk about values, um, what kindness means to both of us and how do we get to practice the values in our everyday. And um, I, I really hope you stay open-minded. I hope that you enjoy this conversation and I really hope that you give Neon Tiger a shot. If you're in the area, seriously, please go visit and, and give uh, John a, a follow on Instagram as well. Hope you have a wonderful one. everyone welcome to another episode of follow your kind i'm thrilled today to have john adamson uh, as a guest on our show jam adamson is a founder of neon tiger the new wonderful vegan restaurant in charleston south carolina that i have recently discovered for myself so i've dined there got completely seduced and blown away by the food together with my mom who is not a vegan so of course had to meet the owner and i'm, I'm very excited to have you john on the podcast today hi john Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. No, thank you for making the time. This is going to be an incredible conversation. I, I know we talked a little bit at the beginning. It's, it seems like we have a lot of really cool things in common already. And um, I'm just really looking forward uh, to learn more about your story and what brought you to the place where you're sitting today. Great. Well, I'm, I'm uh, very excited to, uh, to tell you about it. So one thing that I found funny is when we chatted uh, at the restaurant at the dinner was that you're also from Atlanta. Um, funny, but how, so did you, were you born and did you grow up in Atlanta? I did. Um, I, I was born at Northside Hospital in oh, Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, and I grew up in Brookhaven, um, which, you know, if you're from Atlanta, you, you know, and you think Brookhaven, especially nowadays, uh, you know, you think, oh, well, that's, you know, that you come from, from, uh, from money. Uh, but that, that is not, not the case uh, with my family. Uh, we were on the, I guess, quote, wrong side of the tracks. Uh, <laughs> I guess that would be the wrong side of the MARTA tracks. Um, in fact, it's funny because we, we were, um, if, you know, for any of the listeners that are, that are in Atlanta, of course, you guys will know this, but uh, we live, I lived off of uh, Sylvan Circle and um, we, you know, I, the, it was really strange, but every, you know, once a month or so, the MARTA station would somehow turn the volume up on their speaker system so loud, you know, I think it was that we would have to call them and ask them to turn it down because we could hear all the announcements, you know, from, you know, uh, that they were making uh, from, you know, from the house. So we were, you know, uh, you know, Capital City Club is is um, on the other side of, of the tracks, I guess, you know, um, yeah, as it is. But uh, so we were off of North Druid Hills Road right there. I had a little library that I believe is still there. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm back to Atlanta in a few years now. Um, but uh, but either way, yes, I grew up in that area. It was, um, you know, it was uh, it was great. It just was not what it is today, you know. So do you consider and how many years did you spend in Atlanta? Uh, way? I was uh, I was in Atlanta until I went to college. So I was. Yeah. So I lived in, in Brookhaven my uh, pretty much uh, my entire childhood. And then uh, went to school, and then when I after graduating, I moved away and uh, to well, I guess I moved away to, to go to school, but but then came back for maybe six months, and then I moved up to Charlottesville, Virginia, for ten years, and which was about probably seven years too long to be in a town that small. Personal, <laughs> not 
not love that. And uh, then uh, relocated to Charleston about 11 years ago, which has been really great. Uh, I really, I love Charleston. So uh, yeah, I think I'm, I'm finally at home. I love it. That's funny. And my, my journey was a little bit flipped. And you just asked me, we just talked about where I'm from. And I'm from Ukraine. And uh, some of the listeners probably know that uh, by now. So I grew up in Ukraine. And then I came to America when I was about 18, a little like 18 and a half. And I actually first came to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And a lot of people like smile when they hear that or laugh, which is totally fine. I love Myrtle Beach, but I also kind of, I can relate when you say, when you said, you know, seven years too long for the small town. I also think that I hung around Myrtle Beach a little longer than, you know, I could have had, which is cool. But then I actually moved to Charleston and I lived in Charleston for three years and then I moved to Atlanta. So our tracks are kind of like overlapping, but in the different time zones, which is, which is really cool. Yes. Um, so uh, let's maybe dive in a little bit in your journey. And I was, I was doing some research about your um, past and kind of your resume. Um, and I even remember uh, men- you mentioned it at the beginning when we first chatted at dinner um, when I visited me and Tigers that you had a part to play in Rarebit, which for those who live in Charleston or are familiar with a, uh, with a scenery, uh, with a food scenery in Charleston, know that you know, it's a pretty famous, pretty well-known restaurant. And then um, I looked a little more uh, into your track records um, and it sounds like you've been a part of like what, 10 restaurants over the part of your career, starting with opening your Mellow Mushroom that's that's right wow that's some great research um yes in fact uh neon tiger is my 10th restaurant mm-hmm. so, um you know 10th restaurant bar actually i guess most everything i've done yeah everything i've done has has served food so um yeah yeah um uh, it uh it did it started with with mellow mushroom um back right out of college and that's when i said i moved to charlottesville virginia that's what i I moved to Charlottesville. I called up a buddy and I was like, hey, man, this whole nine to five thing uh, is for the birds. So why don't we, you know, why don't we open up, uh, you know, a mellow mushroom, you know, because, you know, mellow mushroom or Atlanta and and pizza is mellow mushroom, you know, and and I grew up around that. So uh, so, you know, we we said, "Okay, let's do it and um, scrounged up some money. I sold my car. I borrowed the money from my parents who borrowed it from their from my stepdad's parents under the guise that they were, you know, doing some renovations on the house. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, it was like this, this amazing thing that just my, my parents are just these incredible people and, uh, or my, my mom and my stepdad. And so was my, 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 they separated when I was two, but my, I guess, uh, you know, my, my, uh, mom and my stepdad are the ones that did that for me. Uh, and I love my dad and stepmom as well, but, but, uh, either way, they really went out on a limb and, you know, did a co-sign for me on this loan. And, you know, it, it was, it was really, you know, looking back on it, it was really an incredible thing that they believed in me like they did. Um, you know, because, you know, it was certainly not no guarantee there. So it was, you know, it was certainly some fudging of numbers and, and receipts and things like that to prove that I had spent, you know, 20% of the money I needed to, to put down to get the SBA loan for the mellow mushroom and all that good stuff. But, uh, you know, and it was 105 hour weeks for, you know, 15 pounds I lost, which, you know, as you can see, uh, it's probably not a good thing for somebody, you know, my size. Uh, and, uh, it was, um, it was pretty crazy, but, you know, made it work. And, and I still today, you know, credit a, my parents first and foremost, but, but B mellow mushroom for, uh, you know, kind of helping me to learn the business. Mm-hmm. So that 
on and start opening up my own concepts. And, and I think that's ultimately kind of what ended up, you know, to, to come full circle and answer the question about the rare bit, uh, you know, that's what Mellow Mushroom, I got to play a part in the design, um, which was one of the reasons I loved Mellow Mushroom as a franchise. It's not your typical cookie cutter, uh, you know, stamp it out and open you know, kind of franchise, which is what most franchises are. So, you know, it, I got to have my own concept and sort of, um, you know, play a pretty significant role in the design. And I think that's when I realized that, that I was an artist and uh, not an athlete. Um, which is what I always thought that I, I always thought, oh, well, I'm a soccer player athlete because I've been playing since I was four and I still play today and I'm 45. Um, but, um, but either way, uh, you know, my, I come from a family of artists. So uh, it, it, it's, I don't know why I'd, I, I never realized that I had any sort of, um, you know, talent in that area. I guess it's probably because I can't draw a stick figure but clearly art comes in many different forms. So, you know, I think that's when I discovered that I really enjoyed creating spaces and concepts, you know? And so I went on to do that over, you know, the course of my 20 year career at this point. And, um, you know, I, uh, the rare bit was sort of my first, the first project that I did where I didn't have a partner that, could say, oh, you know, no, let's not do this. Or, you know, maybe you should shy away from doing that because it's too, uh, you know, risque or, um, you know, whatever, you know, I mean, I, I had a fairly conservative partner with my, with my past restaurants that, you know, we were 50, 50 partners and everything. And, and um, so I wasn't ever, ever able to really push the envelope like I wanted to. And so the rare bit was my first, um, actually I sold my, my half of Mellow Mushroom to my partner to get the money to open up the rare bit um, in 2012. And so it was my first project that I ever did um, kind of on my own. And um, so uh, it, it, it turned out, it turned out really well. And I'm very, I'm still very proud of the rare bit despite it's continuing to exploit animals for profit. So, you know, I, I it, in a perfect world, I would have, I would have just turned the rare bit vegan um, after going vegan when I still owned it. But I felt like I could do a lot more good uh, creating a new concept um, instead of just turning as much of a statement as that would have been to turn a, uh, you know, a meat serving restaurant into a vegan restaurant you know, and a big story. I just honestly, pessimistically don't trust humans enough to, uh, to think that they would embrace it and that it would even really work. And it really, what it really came down to for me was I needed to sell it in order to get the money to open up Neon Tiger. So it was kind of either take a risk with turning a place that is famous for chicken and waffles, you know, into a vegan spot or take the money and know that, you know, um, I can start over and, you know, start with, with, with something and a, a new idea that, that uh, maybe makes a little bit more sense, you know? Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. I, I hear you. I think um, it's a lot of times it's 
maybe even a path of maybe less resistance to build something from the ground up that is, you know, fundamentally is, is resting on the pillars of, you know, what it is that your philosophy is or what it is that you believe in, rather than trying to shift and bend something into, you know, something that it wasn't from the beginning. And then it's almost like, I mean, they're always going to be haters. They're always, things are never go perfectly. And it just creates an opportunity where, you know, for, for if, if there are any things that not, are not going perfectly, you just have that many more people paying attention to it and trying to blow it up in something that it's not. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't an easy decision. And, you know, we all were, want for things to work out perfectly, but I'm also very glad that you took that concept and instead of changing it from something else, you build a ground up in Neon Tiger. Um, so I really love, I really love the way that you explained your um, motivation for going into the restaurant business, uh, re restaurant industry, because as you were just beginning to share, and one of the questions that I actually had on my list was to ask you, why did you go to the restaurant, uh, you know, industry? And by what I'm hearing, and I think that you maybe partially uh, answered that question that to me, that to you, it wasn't necessarily about just opening the restaurant. It wasn't just about food, but it seemed like for you, it was your expression of art and in your way to play around, to try out different concepts, to create spaces, to create designs um, and, and to, to give it a try of like creating something new as, a, as an expression of art. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, that's, it's a great, that's a great question or, you know, great thing you bring up. I, you know, for me, it's kind of funny because it's a little ironic. I, I've always been a really picky eater, you know, and so it's not, it's never been about food. It really is about the art for me. And, and I, I see, I see my restaurants art that you can walk around inside of, you know? So, um, you know, I, I like to create um, composition even within within the space. You know, um, and it it's um, it's very expensive art. You know, um, but hopefully art that that you can make some money from. You know, I mean, I I would say all in all, um, you know, because I had a very expensive art project out in Mount Pleasant, um, which is a suburb of Charleston, um, as you know. Uh, and honestly, it was one of my greatest works, but it was a huge failure. Um, and I, you know, lost six figures on that, on that deal. And, um, you know, I'm still paying it off today. Um, and that was uh, a place called the Americano and, um, uh, was, you know, I, I will, I, you know, it's hard to say because I, I really do. I really, I really love the Rarebit and, and obviously Neon Tiger, but just from a sheer beauty uh, standpoint, um, the Americano was something really special and uh, it could not have been a bigger failure than it was. So, um, you know, and a lot of things sort of happened that, that were the reason for that. I mean, I think first and foremost is probably just the location, right? Which is, which is funny as well, right? You know, thinking about you know, the, the one thing that, that you'll hear, whether you're a business person or not, you know, over and over is location, 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 you know, and then you ignore it because, you know, oh man, I got this, you know, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to create something that, that supersedes location, you know? So, uh, that's kind of funny, but, um, but either way, uh, yeah, you know, for me, it's, it, it truly is about creating spaces. It's about creating, 
experiences that people that, you know, people otherwise would not be able to have, um, you know, and um, I don't know, that's special to me to create something that enhances people's life in some way um, that otherwise, you know, they would not have had that experience. Um, so it's very important to me uh, to create uh, concepts that, you know, and going back to the art, you know, I'm not a trained artist. I'm not a trained interior designer. I'm not, you know, this is all just comes from my head. Uh, but I think that's why it's important that whenever I do create concepts that they're very specific. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, I mean, the rare bit, a good example, um, you know, I, I mentioned to, to our getting in, uh, actually, you know, hitting record uh, that I'm a huge mid-century modern fan. So, you know, I spent, I've spent hours and hours, I mean, just years and years, I should say, of being in antique stores and just, I love that. That's my kind of one of my times when I'm, when I can, you know, sort of uh, escape is if I'm in an antique store, you know, and get, get outside of my head a little bit and uh, just looking at antiques. And I taught myself, you know, I can pretty much look at any item that's from 1940 to 1970 and tell you, you know, pretty much pinpoint within a couple of years when it's from. So I know that time period very well. And so when I created the rare bit, I, I, I ba basically just made up a story. You know, it's 1962, you're inside of a dog track in the South and uh, you're inside this cocktail bar that that is the only place you can get a cocktail inside the, co inside the, you know, at the dog track, you can also eat there, which I envision to be, you know, kind of diner-esque, Southern, uh, you know, non-pretentious, and uh, you can place a bet there. So there's a seedy, kind of a seedy aspect. There's a sexiness aspect because it's something that was some, you know, it was kind of a thing to do back then um, instead of, you know, nowadays it's, those are just concrete, you know, uh, they're all just like concrete wastelands, you know, with people's, dreams go to die, you know, but, uh, but back in the day, it was kind of a cool thing to go do. And of course, once again, exploiting animals, you know, so it's kind of a funny, ironic thing as well, you know, and thankfully that's pretty much over with, you know, there's very few places that actually still have Greyhound racing. So, um, so yeah, so it, it's all for me, it's just about, um, about uh, being able to, being able to create um, uh, art and, uh, and it's, and it's exhausting too, you know, as fun as it is and as great as it is, it's also very exhausting because I'm a perfectionist. So, you know, I want every single thing inside that restaurant to make sense. You know, there's not just some, you know, I always use the example of like, you know, you go into like a TGI Fridays or, you know, like a, an Applebee's and there's like a snowshoe on the wall and, you know, like a, you know, a wagon wheel, you know, it's like, what is that there for? You know? So um, anyway, it's everything in my places uh, hopefully makes sense to people once they, once they understand what the concept is. But that's a whole other part of the art as well. I'm not very big into, you know, uh, explaining what it, you, you kind of have to figure it out on your own. Most people probably wouldn't walk into the rear and go, am I inside of a cocktail bar inside of a dog track in 1962? Cause it really feels like it, you know, like no one would ever get that, you know? So, but when you tell people they're kind of blown away and like, Oh my God, now that makes sense. And wow, that makes sense. And, you know, so, you know, I, I try to, uh, you know, hopefully that's the same thing that people get with neon tiger. Once I explain to them what that concept is, you know, what was the concept for Americano? So the Americano was that this, this, um, you know, it's so funny that you asked that question because I think it's part of the reason why it failed. 
Um, not the concept itself, but how I explained it to someone one time. So I said, oh, I don't know, this Cuban guy comes over to Miami in 1950, like 1955, and he opens up this, you know, uh, bar restaurant in an existing space, like it was already existing, and he kind of, you know, created, you know, kind of uh, renovated it and made it to a bar restaurant. And so then all of a sudden, because I said that, it became a Cuban restaurant. And it was never supposed to be a Cuban restaurant. It was, it was Latin. It was sort of like anything and everything, you know, tacos to beans and rice, to chips and salsa, to plantains, to, you know, any, anything that you can imagine that, that would be, you know, um, you know, in the, that region, you know? So uh, it is it, kind of funny because it's sort of, you know, people just always thought it was a Cuban restaurant. And I'm just like, well, you know, how many times, how many times a month is somebody going, let's go Cuban, let's go, let's go eat Cuban food, you know? So it was pretty funny. Like, I mean, I, I, I don't know. It, it should have just been Mexican, you know? Like that would, everybody would have flocked there, you know? Except for the location, of course, right? Um, but, uh, but either way, so that, that was sort of the concept there. It was not as in depth as my other concepts, you know, have been, um, or, or, you know, are, I guess, in general, um, you know, I had some other stuff in Virginia as well, but, um, but either way, it wasn't quite as in depth, but, um, it was, uh, it was, uh, I'm still proud of it despite, despite its failure. Yeah, that makes sense. So, uh, I want to transition here to veganism and me and tiger in a second, but one, one more question that I wanted to ask you about the restaurants and concepts and you serving in the role of the, the visionary and the creator. Uh, but I'm also curious if that's something that you also like to be on the receiving end of. So like, do you want to, do you like to be a consumer as well? So like when you go, if you travel, I know like you're working a lot right now, but you know, when you don't work as much and when you travel or when you just go to other places, is that something that you really appreciate as well on your personal experiential level? Or is your joy mo mostly on in creating those spaces yourself? No, absolutely. I get joy out of that. I mean, I, 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 um, I'd say those are the most, some of the most moving experiences that I ever have in life are going into a really beautifully designed space. And, you know, like anyone else in any profession, right, we become, you know, we become these, you know, professionals at, you know, at our minds of like analyzing, you know, what someone else is doing when they're, they, they do what you do. Um, so, it is very rare that I ever go into a space where I'm like, oh, I wouldn't change a thing, you know, perfect, you know, uh, but they, that does happen. Um, and and I, I'm trying to think most recently, I remember I went into a tiki bar that was in Nashville and I can't remember the name of it, but maybe some people, you know, that are listening uh, know about it, but it was it really blew me away. And um, it was it was perfection in my mind. Um, and I think that's the last time I can remember going in anywhere and being just like, you know, just jaw drop, you know, like, man, this is great. Um, and I just love that vibe anyway, right? The Tiki vibe, it's very, you know, it's mid-century, you know? So I just, that, that just speaks to me and, and makes me feel good. So it was kind of a combination of, of all my loves in this one space. And uh, so, yes, I very much enjoy and, and, and am inspired by seeing people really caring about a space versus just caring about trying to make money. 
are there any restaurants that you know of or that maybe they're still standing around the world or in America or in South Carolina that you're like, okay, these are like my top five list of like concepts or places or restaurants that I kind of aspire to or just really appreciate? You know, that's a, that's a question I'd have to think about for a minute. I mean, right off the bat, I, I think about a place and it's funny, once again, um, it's a bar, but it's an original tiki bar and it's in San Francisco inside of a hotel. And I'm drawing a blank on the name of it, but I mean, there's, there's a boat inside with a huge like body of water and you can sit around it and there's a band on the boat and it comes out and they play and like, it's got these beautiful stone, you know, uh, volcanic rock sort of stone everywhere. And it's just so warm and, you know, carpeted, which I love. I've always threatened to do a carpeted restaurant like in my mind you know like I just keep thinking I'm gonna do it and when I say threatened it's just like carpet in a restaurant like are you crazy but I you know I, I actually envisioned uh, you know I always envisioned uh, the rare bit expanding you know before I you know made the connection and I was pretty convinced that I was gonna do a Nashville location and I was going to do it like a, and they were all going to be different. Everyone would be different. And I think I, that was inspired. So that idea was sort of inspired by Mellow Mushroom and how every Mellow Mushroom you walk into is different. And depending on what, what city it's in, you know, and uh, I wanted to do like a 1970 rare bit, but 1970 Vegas, you know, cause everybody calls Nashville, Nash Vegas. So I wanted to do like a 1970 rare bit in, but it was, but it would have been modeled after this idea that it was inside of a, of a, of a, like a casino, um, you know, uh, in 1970. So it would have absolutely had carpet, you know, so either way. Um, so, you know, and I've seen that in a couple places, but uh, carpet, but um, it's, it's pretty rare. So, um, you know, obviously in the restaurant business and drinks and the whole deal, you know, you got to have some pretty good cleaners to, to do that. But, um, but yeah, so I, I don't know. Uh, I'd have to really think about the answer to that question. So I don't really have a top five in my head. Um, but I, you know, I hold some places near and dear to my heart and even places here in town. I mean, there's some in Charleston, but all closed for business that I was, that I thought was fantastically done. Um, and that restaurant group is, is, um, is really uh, they're very successful and um, they do. They're the only other people in town that 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 I feel like really care about uh, you know truly. And it's not about caring, but really seem to understand. Um, and, and maybe it's not even about understanding, but uh, they they seem to want to have concepts that really um, resonate with um, you know that 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 have uh, continuity and and um, you know makes sense and, and all. Um, and some other places can be a little overcrowded in my opinion, but um, but also that it's it's um, there's a lot to look at, you know. So you don't get bored in there. You know, so yeah, that's um, that that was that's one of mine that that I really loved, and they closed that down. So, um, you know, I guess uh, you have like manifestation, right? Like, place called closed for business, uh, not working out. You know, that is so. funny. That is really funny. I don't think I've been to that one. Um, I think we probably talked about it when I was in dinner. I worked in the 82 Queen, like I bartended there for years while I lived in, while I lived in Charleston through the whole, so I put myself through college with, with, that, with that bartending money. So it was great. And I just loved working there. It was a great team. And of course the outside area is beautiful. Um, but great. Yeah. But. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's get to the heart of it. So I want to know about 2017 and how you made the connection and what, what, what kind of explosion happened in your mind. 
Wow. It's funny. I, I get, uh, I get, I get kind of, uh, I get kind of emotional thinking about it, you know, like just, and it's funny because I don't know, I don't really, I mean, it was October, I think, September, October. And it's funny because I can go back to my Instagram, which um, I'm taking a break from right now. It's, it's funny. I've been off, I've been off it for about a week and um, I don't know that I'll ever go back, um, but that's a whole other conversation. But, um, but I can go back on my Instagram and kind of see exactly when I became an activist because I started posting, you know? And so I think, you know, clearly that was, you know, a lot of vegans remember the day that they went vegan, but I think for me, it was such, so emotional and, and, and uh, I mean, kind of, you know, in a way traumatizing, you know, um, you know, and when we can get into that a little bit more, but uh, that I don't really remember the day, but I do remember it was sometime September, maybe, uh, maybe September, October is when I finally, you know, really made the connection and was like, no way. Like you're, you've, you've gotten me for as long as you've gotten me for. And, but, but it's over, you know, the gig is up. Um, and so, yeah, I'm sorry. What, what so was, what, what happened exactly? What was the impetus? Like, what did you read? What yeah. did you hear? What did you learn? What happened? You know, and that's another question that I've gotten before that, you know, I can, I can take a stab at it. Um, you know, I was following, I was following, you know, I can't really even remember how I came across her page, but I was following a lady, her name's Leanne. And uh, she has a, she has a page called Goats of Anarchy. Um, and I urge you to check it out. Um, and, uh, but she's, she's gotten, you know, shoot, at this point, I think she's got over a half million followers. But, you know, she, she rescues special needs goats. You know, she's one of these you know, people that, you know, that escaped the matrix, you know, and um, she, uh, she quit her job and went out to, you know, got a farm somehow and figured it out and started rescuing these special needs goats. And, you know, these goats, any kind of issues, neurological, or, you know, maybe they have frostbite and lost a limb or, you know, couldn't walk in the first place or whatever it was that, that, you know, you're, that, 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 you know, most humans would deem them, um, you know, uh, not worthy of life or, uh, you know, would put them down. Um, she would take those animals on and, and get carts built for them if they, you know, if they couldn't walk, uh, do whatever they needed, you know, um, to give them a life. And in watching, you know, watching these animals and, you know, starting to, to you know, see them for who they were and seeing the relationships that they had with the other animals that, you know, whether that was staying away from other animals or being attached to the hip, um, you know, just realizing that ultimately realizing that in every single way that matters at all in this world, that they were exactly like us. So, you know, realizing that and seeing that they, you know, uh, not only that, but, but also starting to, you know, with all the algorithms and how they work, starting to, uh, you know, maybe follow somebody, you know, looking at comments and seeing, you know, starting somehow clicking around and ending up on activist page pages and starting to see what these animals were going through in order to get onto our plate. 
And, uh, you know, whether that's slaughterhouse videos or, um, I mean, just a number of things, um, you know, Asian and uh, realizing how, uh, whatever, I mean, we could talk about it for hours and hours and hours about the horrors of animal agriculture, you know? Um, but, you know, I'm seeing all these things, you know, I don't think, I mean, it didn't take me, you know, didn't take me long at all. Um, I, 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 I was never vegetarian. I, I went straight vegan immediately. Um, and it, because I'm, I'm just a big, um, I don't know, I, I, I don't know what you, you know, I've got a lot of theories on this. Um, you know, um, I think, you know, personally, I think it came down to me. Uh, for me personally, it was that I, I, I really respect myself and um, I could, no longer do that knowing what I knew, you know, um, if I continued to be a part of their suffering for something that come to find out I didn't need, you know, and, and, and you have to understand for me too, how big of a deal that was, because like I said, I'm a picky eater. Right. So, I mean, I lived off of chicken, you know, I mean, that's, that's what I ate, you know, probably every single day. So, you know, for somebody like me, you know, it's like, oh God, what am I going to eat? You know, so I had to train myself. I'm not train myself, but I just had to start to really, you know, as before, before I would never try a lot of new foods, but, and as I kind of mentioned to you before we started, you know, recording, when you're doing something for someone else, it, you're a lot more apt to do it. So, uh, so I started to, you know, experiment with other foods and, 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 uh, you know, um, started to really go down the rabbit hole of, of, uh, of health and understanding that not only, you know, was that I not need to eat animals to be healthy, but that it was actually that I was unhealthy because of eating animals. And that's kind of when I started to realize that, um, as you know, some a good friend of mine always says it's always opposite day in Babylon um and basically everything that we've been told is is there's a good chance it's not true um so you know I, I became a uh you know when you realize you've been lied to on such a grand scale you you un, if you're you know if if you have any sense at all you realize that it's not the only time, so uh, so I started to really you know uh, go down the rabbit hole of truth you know and and um, discovered that so many things that we're told are so are so are are, are about you know profiting and uh, not actually about about um, the greater good or uh, actually helping anyone. And, you know, that's a whole other conversation that we could go into about big pharma and, and all that BS, you know? Um, so, so yeah, so, you know, it was, it was following, it was following her starting to follow other activists and really and truly just seeing the truth for once and uh, or for the first time. And I think that, you know, I'm a, I'm uh, you know, I say this all the time, but you know, it's, it's uh, no better, do better, you know? And once you know, you, you know, we have to act on that. And um, otherwise you're only hurting yourself because uh, once you know better, then you're, you're only, you're doing yourself a disservice and that cognitive dissonance that you feel 
you know, that's an uncomfortable feeling for a reason, you know? Um, so, you know, you're trying to, uh, convince yourself that something is okay because, you know, because it's your truth, you know, it's what you've been told. And ultimately the reason that cognitive dissonance, uh, or that it comes up and what it really is, in my opinion, and after really, you know, listening to some really smart people and reading some really great books, um, is, you know, the reason that we fight so hard, you know, uh, uh, when it comes to, you know, being told not to eat animals or, you know, any of that, the fear that comes from that is really, you know, I truly believe that it's because we never came to that conclusion on our own, if that makes sense, that we don't have any way to defend our consumption of animals because we didn't come to, the, to that conclusion to eat animals on our own. So it creates this, this cognitive dissonance, you know, where you just don't know how to defend it. So you um, suppress it and make up excuses in your mind. Um, and, you know, I, I had my bouts with, with, with cognitive dissonance. I'm sure I do daily, you know, who knows? Um, I don't know. Um, but, uh, but I certainly did with, with eating animals. I remember thinking that chickens were, were uh, you know, their brains are too small. They don't know what's going on or, you know, they're too stupid to, to, to understand or any of that. But at the end of the day, none of that matters. It doesn't matter how, how you know, intelligent uh, an animal is. You know, all animals are as intelligent as they need to be, but, but it doesn't, that doesn't excuse or make it okay to take the life of someone else. That's their life, you know? So, uh, and I think ultimately that's what it came down to for me was that, you know, as I said previously, in every single way that matters, these animals are exactly like us and we have no right to make decisions about anyone else's life. And, and not even just for that reason, you know, even if their lives, you know, even if they weren't exactly like us in every way that mattered, it's still not our decision to make decisions about another's life. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I completely with you, agree with you on all of the points, the cognitive dissonance for me too. And I, I went through kind of a lot of that kind of struggle um, and clearing up what my true intentions and what my true values were and how I want to live with that as well. And uh, I, I've shared it a few times here on this podcast, but I grew up in Ukraine and in Ukraine, you know, in, in a lot of, it's a lot more likely that you're actually closer to the end, to your food, whatever it looks like, if it is the animals or if it's the, you know, the produce that you grow. And so I remember every summer I would visit my grandmother and there was a village nearby that where they grew cattle and, and mostly I wouldn't call it cattle. They grew cows mostly for like the, the dairy consumption where they, you know, all the cows would have names and, you know, they would care for them and they would talk to them and they would talk about how smart they were or like the chickens and roosters too. And then, you know, a few months later that like you have a soup with a rooster. And I remember like being a kid. And for me, it was like, but I knew his name. Like what, how, like, and everybody's sitting around the table with a straight face. But then I think for at that time, it's like we, we're social creatures and, you know, we'll learn by example and like everybody else is acting normal. I guess I should be acting normal as well, but it never really like fully made sense for me. And I think when I came to vegetarianism and my, you know, my transition was a lot slower. I was vegetarian for many years before I turned vegan. But I think once I like reconciled it in my head, I was like, this is such a, it was such a point of liberation for me. Cause finally I did not have to like force my brain into jumping through the hoops to 
continue to hold the illusions I was trying to hold just so I don't feel like a bad person because it did not make sense for me from the very beginning. You know, if we love animals, we care for the animals, we, we cry when they die. We're like, well, why would they, we kill them? Why would we intentionally grow animals and, and, and kill them for food? And then, you know, if we, the, the arguments that we try to make in our heads, well, they're less intelligent, they're less that. I mean, those fall, those fall apart quite quickly if we really think through that, you know? I mean, we've taught in school, like just because somebody is not as smart as you are or somebody smart as whoever is, like it doesn't make them a, a less or more of a person well it's the same thing so intelligence is not really a good of an argument and then the whole thing with like species and you know we love dogs but we like we don't care about chickens well if you go to china the story may be different so who you are to say i just think like yeah those arguments really don't hold a lot of ground when you're willing to have a true and open grounded conversation about how things really are yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, to touch on, you know, your experience as a child, you know, um, a little bit and, and kind of part of the reason why I became an activist was, you know, and for you, it's a little bit different. You're right. I can, you know, in America, we're completely disconnected from our food. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm an activist here is because I think that there's a lot of room for actually reaching people because, you know, we're not connected. You're going to be a lot, it's going to be a lot harder to turn the guy who's, you know, killing the animals himself into a vegan than the person who doesn't realize what's happening to the animals before, you know, for them to get on their plate. Um, but, you know, I, you know, me going, you know, becoming an activist, uh, you know, I'm a big, um, I, I think for me, it was a lot of emotions. You know, I said that I get really emotional when I think about it, but it was a lot of emotions all wrapped up in one that, that created my activism or turned me into an activist. But what, you know, the, the biggest one was, was that maybe the biggest were, were anger, you know, that my compassion had been stolen from me, you know, and, you know, by society. And, um, and then the other was embarrassment to be honest with you. Um, I was embarrassed that I, I had been duped, you know? And um, that really got me because I, you know, I've always considered myself an individual and, uh, you know, unique. And in when I realized that I was just a pawn in the game and, you know, supporting these industries that were, that were causing unimaginable suffering and just planetary destruction and the health crisis in our country. I mean, you name it, if it's an issue, it's probably, you know, I mean, so many issues come from this. I mean, I, I 100% believe that all evil begins with the idea that one life is worth more than another, all of it. So you know, there's the old saying of peace begins on your plate. There's, I, I absolutely believe that. Um, you know, if we weren't teaching our children that they were better than all of these animals that we consume, how could they ever grow up to feel like they were better than another human? Right? So it all begins there. That's it. So, you know, I... I was, I was embarrassed that, that I was a part of it, you know, 
And so, uh, you know, I vowed to do every single thing I could to bring down animal agriculture, whatever that is, anything that I could. And, uh, you know, just to go back to and touch on what you, what you said, um, just about, you know, feeling like we have an excuse because we're smarter or any of these things, you know, one of the things that, that I realized and that, that, um, really got me was, you know, and it sort of kind of, it, it, it sort of falls in line with, with, you know, me saying that I, I respect myself and, and, and all that, but what I realized was that as a man or a woman, you know, in this world, as a human, as the, you know, quote, superior species, shouldn't we be protecting the vulnerable? You know, I mean, I, I give the example of, you know, um, I look outside right now and there's someone that's, you know, uh, hitting, um, you know, a pig with a, uh, with a stick or a bat or whatever, right? I'm going to go out there and do something about it, right? And so is anyone else, you know? They should, we should be protecting the vulnerable, right? We protect the vulnerable in this, in this life. And exploiting the vulnerable, consuming these animals, paying for people to, to enslave uh, in, in, you know, and to uh, torture and, and murder these animals for us, uh, you know, telling it how it is, um, you know, we're, we're essentially bullies, you know, and as a man in this life, uh, that is my duty to protect, you know, um, anyone who needs protection, you know, so whether that's a human or an animal. So, um, you know, I think that that's, uh, it's a really, it's pretty obvious, you know, as a man, um, especially, and not to say that, you know, I'm not saying that I'm just, you know, I'm saying that the general thought of what it is to be a man. Right. And I know all those lines, they're trying to blur all those lines now, you know? Um, but in general, when I think about myself, I think, of, I think, well, if I'm a man, I'm protecting the vulnerable. I'm not exploiting the vulnerable. Yeah. And it goes with your integrity, the importance of integrity and the importance of you, uh, you know, aligning your actions with your words. And, you know, that's unfortunately is somewhat rare today. Um, you know, we, I feel like we, our values are here, but then we kind of put it on the shelf and then we turn it around and we get busy with life and we just do, you know, whatever is easiest, whatever is cheapest, whatever is the least resist resistance, whatever is on the way. But I think, I think it takes special person to, to set the intention, to be mindful of your values and to actually, you know, exercise your values in your daily life every single day. And funny enough that, you know, not, not that I'm uh, kind of processing what you said in my mind, it really takes me back to like the beginning of the podcast and where the name came from, Follow Your Kind. So my intention was to explore kindness and I understood, you know, kindness as a value that every person has for themselves. And, you know, maybe what I can consider kind today is not necessarily the same thing as you consider kind today, because, you know, I, I truly believe that people are trying to do their best, but not everybody's like made the connection yet. 
And so it's not my intention to like brainwash somebody else or impose my model of living on somebody else, but it is very much my intention to explore my own value of kindness, make sure my actions align with that, and then hopefully inspire others to explore their value of kindness and understand how they can live closely, closer to their value of kindness today. And, you know, like, and when you are trying to be kind, I know like for me, I mean, I love animals. I want to be kind to my animals. That is a no brainer that I'm not going to put animals on my plate. And that's the end of the day. It's so simple. And that's, that's the message that I'm hearing from you is the integrity and aligning your actions with your values. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and any, and anything else is not living a true life, right? Because none of us, very few of us, let's say, would be okay with what's happening right now if we had all the information, you know? And I think that's one of the really nice, convenient things for this industry that will do anything to hide the truth from us is that we don't even want the truth, you know? I mean, I envision the, you know, the kid putting his fingers in his ears and, you know, and just, you know, nah, you know, like, I don't, I can't hear you. You know, I mean, I've seen adults do it, you know, I mean, it happens, you know, they don't want to hear it because they don't want to change. They don't want to have to make a change, um, you know, but I, I also have kind of, you know, gone even further, you know, sort of, you know, I try to look at everything from 30,000 feet, you know, it, it makes things a lot easier to, to, to kind of um, break down and, you know, I think one of the issues potentially, you know, speaking of like, you know, your average person is that I think that there's, you know, I said earlier that I think that the root of all evil is, 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 uh, you know, the idea that one life is worth more than another, but, you know, and I've said this before, but it was just something that sort of seems to make sense to me that, you know, really and truly even beyond that, I think it, it may be a lack of, self-love you know i think that i think that it's very you know it's very difficult to care about someone that you will never meet when you don't even care about yourself right so you know i think that's another issue that we've got uh that's a really hard one to get past you know um so uh i don't really know how to solve that one but uh i think that that plays a role yeah, for, for a lot of people. I really love that. Um, I really love that. I think it's very true. And I, I've given that some thought and not necessarily as it relates to veganism, but just in general, like learning and, and working to heal my relationships with some of the people that I perhaps don't necessarily support their choices all the time. But what it comes down to me uh, in is there, I can, I can learn to love myself first and that could be an example for me that could teach me how to learn others as well but then there's also another way and I think for me or for other people I don't necessarily know if there is a difference as long as you start somewhere because they there for me there have been instances where I learned to love somebody or I learned to care for somebody or something and then through that I learned to love myself 
So I think it, I think it's a two-way street. Um, I, I, I love where we started with a conversation of, you know, having a purpose or contributing to something that is bigger than you. And, you know, when you're, when your responsibility, responsibility lies within something, within something that is beyond you, that's very, it makes it much easier to get motivated and get out of bed. So, but I think there is a, is there is a two-way street of interaction in, in love, what, whether it is for self or to somebody else. But I think is, if you do it with dedication and if you drop the conditions, I think it becomes easy to model one thing after another, regardless where you start. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I like that. Um, yeah, and, and real quick, I, I want to touch on something just because, you know, we're talking about love and, and, and you know, we had talked a little bit previously about sort of my journey as an activist and uh, you know when I first went vegan like I said it was this you know it was this um just whirlwind of emotions you know and anger was was one of them and you know so I you know I think my, my biggest my latest sort of goal that I've been uh trying to accomplish is is you know and it's not always easy especially when you're dealing with humans you know um, but is to, to try and come at everything from a place of love. So that's been a real, um, has, has been a difficult journey for me, for sure, especially as a, as, as a uh, very, you know, unapologetic activist, you know. Um, I, I um, you know, it's funny, I used to say that my goal every day was to fuck somebody's day up, you know. <laughs> Like one person at least per day is going to walk away from me and go, holy shit, I have to make some changes, you know? And uh, so, and not to say that that is not still my goal, but I just maybe go about it in a little bit of a different way. And um, I'm a little softer in my approach maybe. And just realizing, uh, you know, what everyone's always told me that's close to me that, you know, you catch more flies with honey. Right. Um, so uh, you know, I, 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 and also just never forgetting that, that I was there as well, you know? So I think that's a really important thing is, is, is to always remember that, that you were there as well. And, and, um, you know, for me, part of my activism, uh, part of my reason for being an activist, no one ever talked to me about these things that I had to come about this information on my own. And that is upsetting you know, as well, that no one ever talked to me. And so, you know, when everybody wants to make fun of vegans for, uh, you know, for, for talking about this stuff, you know, you never know who you're going to talk to that's going to call you up and profusely thank you for changing their life. So even if it's one out of 10 people or one out of a hundred people who cares, you know, if you can change somebody's life by giving them the information that's been hidden from them their entire life, then I'll talk to every single person that I come across, you know? I love that. I mean, I definitely view you from what I know about you so far. I definitely view you as a, as a rebel and somebody who is not shy to speak up when, you know, when, when he sees that the wrong is being done. So yeah. I admire and respect that a lot in you. Um, and I also, I also think there are, I mean, there are places for all kinds of activism. Um, I, I took to, I, I, I talked to, to a few different uh, people before who have like different styles of activism. And I think at the beginning, I was a little bit 
you know, like some of the intense like stuff that Peter puts out, puts out sometimes. I was a little bit kind of hesitant and I wasn't sure if, you know, is it doing more harm than good? But then like after talking to some people for whom that was the message that they needed to hear, I'm, I mean, I'm respectful and, and, and accepting of all kinds of activism. So I think whatever it is that feels right to you at this time and whatever you can channel through you know hopefully with, with some love as well i think that is that is probably the right thing to you and hopefully the person is able to hear the message that he needs they, they need to hear at that, at that time yeah um yeah absolutely i think we need all forms of activism and i think that the you know the biggest thing uh one of the biggest things that i that i realized very quickly you know very quickly was that it's not enough to just be vegan you know and, you know, there's plenty of, there's plenty of vegans that, you know, and, 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 and that's a good example of, of, you know, why I ended up probably, you know, consuming animals for as long as I did was because there weren't enough vegans out there talking about it. Right. Nobody ever talked to me about it. So um, I think it's, I think that if, you know, if you were really to break the numbers down of how many vegans and vegetarians even, you know, which, you know, I kind of laugh at, you know, it's the vegetarian thing is funny to me, you know, I just don't understand it. But um, I mean, because cows, you know, dairy cows are the most abused animals in, in all of the industries, you know. So, um, you know, if you're doing it for the animals, you're just you're not paying attention. Um, but uh, but either way, that it wasn't enough. You know, if we ha if every single vet vegan out there was an activist, we'd be a lot further along in this, you know, in this uh, in, in this movement. Absolutely. Know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and the thing about it is, you know, everyone can be an activist, you know, so many vegans are not like me, right? They're, they are, they are scared to speak up. They don't want to be different. They don't want to, to, uh, for anyone to, um, you know, think they're weird or, um, you know, any of those things, which I understand, uh, you know, as a human, we, we want to be accepted, you know, um, you know, but, you know, first of all, they need to realize that, they're not the weird ones, you know? I'm, um, I mean, I, I have a bumper sticker on my car. It says eating animals is some weird ass shit. And, you know, it really is, you know, if you think about it, it really is, you know, it's like, I mean, I don't eat anything that poops, you know, that's not a strange thing, you know? Um, but, but either way with that, you know, we're not the strange ones though. They are the people that if you just break it down simply, they are, making their, you know, I always say this too, that the only vote that matters is the vote that we make with our dollar. That's the only vote that matters in this, in the, in the matrix, right? What makes, what makes money? So if every single day, three times a day, you're voting for, uh, you know, all the hor horrors of animal agriculture, enslavement and torture and rape and kidnapping and, murder and all these things well of course that's the world we're going to live in because you're voting for it every single day you know so uh with that in mind everyone can everyone can be an activist and you know in in subtle ways you know and and i've i've talked about this before um i think i did a i did a um, i did a podcast um you know maybe a month ago or so maybe two months ago and and we talked a little bit about different forms of activism and, you know, it's, I mean, you can wear t-shirts, you know, I mean, that's an easy one, right? Wear shirts that, you know, I mean, I have a shirt that says animals are not ingredients, you know, um, 
I, I have, I shoot. I mean, I always wear uh, shirts that are, that are activism related because it's just one more opportunity to reach people, you know, people that you're not talking to, who knows who sees your shirt that says, you know, um, I don't know that, or, you know, I support animal rights or, you know, whatever it is, meat is murder. Um, you know, if, if they see those, who knows who you, who you reach, but you know, there's very subtle ways as well that people can do activism. And, and, and that is just simply, just simply asking whether you're hungry or not asking uh, at a restaurant, what are your vegan options? You know, I mean, I've given the example of walking into a Starbucks, you know, and, you know, just saying, Hey, what in this case is vegan, you know, and that is activism, you know, what if that person behind the counter, what if someone had already asked that today and they asked that, and it just kind of, you know, went in one ear and out the other, but then you come in and you ask the same question and they go, wait a second, what's, what is this? What's going on? Vegan? What is this? Like, let me look this up. What, why are these people? Because let's be honest, we are, we are, uh, we're followers. Humans are followers, you know? So when more and more people are talking about something, whatever that is, people are going to look into it. You know, so, you know, that's a real subtle and easy, very easy, non-confrontational way to be an activist. Just ask what their options are, you know, you know, either way. I love that. I love that. Um, I mean, you're you're inspiring me to do more as well. So this is this is really cool. It's not. Yeah, it's just making it a part of the conversation and it can be like it can be friend friendly. It can be it can be very easy, it can be very occasional, but you know, that people remember, I, I cannot tell you how many people I've had that, you know, I would say something, I would mention something, everybody knows me as, you know, like the plant girl or whatever. And, you know, she's grass or whatever, especially at work, like I work in healthcare. Um, but it's, it's becoming a lot more ex ex accepted now. And then like, sometimes I would have people, you know, like kind of like make jokes with me. And then like a few days later, or a few months later, they would message me and be like, um, actually, could you share some recipes? <laughs> and I'll be like, yeah, Girl. I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> Uh, yeah planting those seeds it's a real thing absolutely okay let's talk about neon tiger so neon tiger is a bomb it's i mean to say it's a restaurant it's such an understatement it's like it's, it's truly an experience and i think hearing you talk about the the amount of effort and attention that you put into the design and the concept of the restaurant probably gave listeners a, a really good prep of what's coming um, and as I said, like my boyfriend, Brad, so he was the one who visited your, your restaurant first. He was in Charleston for, for a job. And um, he told me just like blown away. And he said, Katie is the best bartender. They have this turmeric ginger beer on the bar. And he doesn't drink, but like that they have in mocktails that were really fun and cool. It was absolutely exciting for him. So then I came to visit and me and I brought my mom there and my mom is not vegan, but she was blown away. I mean, she was in love with everything we've gotten. And I feel like we've gotten probably like half of the menu at least. We've had the calamari uh, for the appetizer, the, the mushrooms, I think they were. We had the mahi tacos. We had the, the Reuben is like the most popular thing or one of the popular things. I mean, so it was amazing. And I had, I ordered one to go for Brett because he was like drooling as I was sending him pictures. Um, and then we got, I think a buffalo chicken sandwich or something. And all of it was amazing, but the atmosphere and the staff is so excited. I mean, I just had a blast there. And of course it was amazing, amazing to meet you as well. Um, but tell us like Neon Tiger, how did the concept come around, the name, um, the design? Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, 
you know, it's funny. You talk about people having these great memories. Um, that's one of the things that I lack. Um, but I, so the, so the, the, the idea of neon tiger is, um, you know, I guess in a, in its simplest form, uh, as far as the, the, the atmosphere is concerned, um, there's a couple different elements that, that play into the, to the atmosphere. One is this idea of the matrix, you know, and, um, you know, I, I've said this before that, that neon tiger is, is a glitch in the matrix. So it's this, it's this little pocket that doesn't adhere to the fuckery, as I say, of the matrix. And, uh, you know, just the, the insanity of the resources that it takes to, you know, to get these animals onto our plate. Um, the, you know, the, the health issues that come along with it, you know, the, just all the ridiculous, I mean, just when you really break down the fact that we eat animals and you see the, the true cost of it, it's absolute insanity, right? So, um, you know, it's this idea that, it, that, that, that it's this glitch. And so you'll see that throughout in, in some different, you know, aspects, you know, whether it's a, you know, on the, you know, I have a huge collage wall um, and, you know, there's a, you know, if you look, you know, it's, it's something you could stand there and look at for an hour, mm -hmm. but, you know, you'll see an image of Mr. Smith uh, from the matrix, you know, on there um, or, you know, red pill, blue pill. I mean, in fact, behind the, behind the bar, I was, I was, um, I was with my girlfriend down in Miami, uh, maybe, I don't even know how long ago, six months ago. And we, we went into a, 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 a shop and they had this red pill. It was literally a, you know, it was, you know, a, uh, I'm not sure. It's like a resin, you know, cast, you know, and it's like a red um, kind of like standard, you know, pharmaceutical pill, you know, and it was just this great, of course I bought it and I put it on the back bar. But just this idea of, of you know, taking the red pill, you know, and, and kind of seeing the truth, you know, uh, which is horrifying once you do, you know, making the connection, the same thing, right? Making the connection and escaping the, the matrix are kind of the same thing to me, you know? So um, taking the red pill. Uh, but either way, it's this idea that, um, first of all, A, that the future is vegan. So in that way, it's very optimistic, um, uh, despite its pessimistic sort of, um, uh, you know, <clears throat> I guess, ultimately pessimistic design. Um, but uh, it's optimistic in this idea that the future is vegan. And so, um, you know, that in the future, we will have exposed these industries, they will have been brought up on the, uh, for, the, for, you know, and charged with crimes against humanity, uh, which they all should be charged with. Um, and we will know better at that point and realize that the reason that we are in the uh, situation that we're in is because we eat animals. I mean, it's, it's, it's plain and simple that we cannot continue to do it and continue to survive. And uh, that also goes into the concept of it being set. And once again, going back to me saying that I like to get really specific with my concepts, I, uh, Neon Tiger is set in 2048. And the reason for that is because that is when many scientists uh, predict that uh, our oceans will be dead. And if you know anything about uh, this planet that we live on, once our oceans die, we will all die. So uh, I think the, the estimate is 75 to 80% 
of our oxygen comes from phytoplankton um, in the ocean. So when that is gone, uh, and of course by 2048, at the rate that we cut down the Amazon, the other you know 20 percent uh, will be will be gone as well. So uh, we'll be dead. And um, so it's set in 2048 uh, because it's supposed to be, you know, apocalyptic in that way, you know? So um, it's Neon Tiger comes from the idea that there, there's something called year zero. And, and I'll, I'll explain this pretty quickly if I can. But they did a study uh, from 1970 to, I believe it was 2015. They did a study on wildlife and they, they discovered that we have killed since 1970, that we have wiped out 70% of wildlife. So if there were, you know, if there were uh, 10 giraffes, now there are three giraffes, just to give an example, right? So if you follow that trajectory, 2026 is what they call year zero. And year zero is when all wild vertebrates will be extinct. So that is every, I mean, you, you know, if that's, it's, it's devastating. And, um, and whether or not they're extinct, they will certainly be in jail, right? So they're either in jail or, or they're gone. So um, that is a horrifying, uh, thing to come to the uh, realization of um, that future generations aren't even going to be able to, you know, see a giraffe, see an elephant, see, you know, unless they're going to, they're, they're, unless they're going to a prison to see them, you know? So um, I, I pretty much refuse to use the word zoo. Uh, so it's, um, you know, it, it's about the fact that we won't have tigers. We won't have, you know, so all we're going to have is these representations of these animals. And that's what neon tiger is. It's just one of the representations of these animals that we will have in 2048. So, um, you know, my goal, you know, is my, my, I guess, I guess what I'm, I'm ultimately trying to accomplish with neon tiger is, is trying to redefine is to educate people, you know, um, but also to redefine veganism, you know, so often when we, you know, you know, in the past, vegan restaurants have been, have sort of adhered to a certain um, uh, sort of uh, design aesthetic, you know, that is not potentially not welcoming to, to, to everyone, you know, um, you know, very spiritually kind of driven, if that even makes sense. Um, you know, uh, I always give the attitude of cafe gratitude, you know, sort of that sort of idea, you know, so it's, it's not, you know, your average person isn't going to feel comfortable there. And, and, um, so, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to create, first and foremost, I didn't want to create a vegan restaurant because I know, that your average person is going to turn their nose up at a vegan restaurant. So what I created was a, and of course this, you know, um, this whole pandemic um, it has, you know, kind of messed up my plans. But the idea was that Neon Tiger was was going to be a cocktail bar, not a vegan restaurant. So you know, because I know that anyone will go to a cocktail bar, but not anyone will go to a vegan restaurant. So, um, so that kind of, you know, has been 
those hours that I wanted to, to keep, you know, I was going to do 5 p.m. to 2 a.m. Uh, and serve food till 1 a.m. and have the bar open until 2 and create this very, you know, sexy, um, you know, dark, dimly lit cocktail bar, which it is. That's exactly what it is. It's just that we're only open until 10 or maybe 11 on the weekends because we can't find enough staff to uh, to make it work because of, you know, uh, the government paying everyone to stay home. And once again, that's a whole other podcast that we could have about that. But um, the, you know, the, the deception um, that is going on with this, uh, this whole pandemic and the, you know, speaking of truth not being told to us. Um, you know, and uh, if you're just following the mainstream narrative, you, uh, you are not getting all the information, let's just say that. So, uh, so you know, it's, it's really hurt small businesses, it's really hurt the middle class, this is the, you know, a huge transfer in wealth to, to, uh, to the 1%. Um, and it's just the collateral damage of this thing uh, is just unbelievable. And it certainly has hurt Neon Tiger. So, uh, you know, I, I do hope that one day, you know, I won't be in the kitchen every night so that I can actually be out on the floor talking to people because that's what I envisioned was, you know, um, I, you know, I do, you know, I mentioned getting off of Instagram. Um, and that's because I kind of feel like, you know, ultimately you end up sort of losing anyone who, you know, is fearful of your message. Um, and you end up gaining people that aren't and that are of like mind. So you kind of end up preaching to the choir at some point. And I think I've sort of run my course of, you know, and, you know, Hey, I could work on, promoting myself and becoming an influencer and all that. But I'm just, I'm not the kind of guy who's going to put up selfies and, you know, put videos of myself up. I'm just not, uh, you know, whatever you want to call that. I don't know if that's a confidence thing or, um, or what, but uh, I just, it's not really my style, but I'm very good one-on-one. -on -one. And um, so, you know, I really would like to be out on the floor and being able to talk to people um, but you know, I'm, 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 I work in the kitchen every night because pizza is one of our big items that, that, you know, in fact, we were up for, we were up for, um, we were up for, uh, best gourmet pizza. And, you know, as one of our, you know, we were actually neon tiger was, if you can believe this, this is pretty incredible. Neon tiger was nominated this year in our kind of best of awards in Charleston, um, for best restaurant in Charleston, first of all, which is. That's amazing. My, For those who my, don't know Charleston, Charleston is like the city of, of the foodies and craft everything and made from scratch everything. So to be nominated in Charleston is a huge deal. I mean, there are restaurants who like been there for 30 years, for decades, and who hold that status. And for you guys to come in with this amazing kind of rebellious concept that I was blown away when I saw that. Yes, uh, thank you. And that's exactly, you know, that was sort of sort of like if you would have asked me a year ago what my you know pipe dream would be it would be that you know like you know no way that'll happen but that would be an incredible success kind of thing you know and um you know and you're right this you know uh, i built neon tiger to disrupt the restaurant scene in Charleston. And there's no greater, you know, affirmation that, that, that I have, you know, we have accomplished that, um, than that, you know? So, um, and, and we did, um, in fact, I was already told, and I'm not sure when we're actually, you know, you're going to release this podcast, but who cares? We did win best new restaurant in Charleston. So congratulations. Uh, yeah, it's um, it was to be completely honest with you. When I got the news, I I was 
really overwhelmed uh, with, you know, and teared up um, because what an incredible thing for the movement, you know? And um, so it, it, it's, it's everything I could, I could possibly have ever asked for uh, from, you know, um, from that. So anyway, um, I think I, I kind of got off track as I tend to do, but, um, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm trying to, oh, we were talking about Neon Tiger. Yeah, so, you know, it's, uh, it, it's a, it's sort of, you know, it's kind of, you know, when I talked earlier about how, you know, uh, you know, my restaurants are, are pieces of art that you can walk around in, you know, you walk in and it's sort of this like lush um, kind of, uh, you know, scene. And then as you go through the restaurant, it's sort of, you know, the composition, you know, as it is, I guess, you know, if you follow sort of the walls, you know, you go from this lush, you know, you know, green, you know, green space to uh, kind of the matrix that we live in on the bar wall to desolation and destruction of everything, basically by humanity and sort of this blankness. Um, and then finally to the final wall, which is the, you know, uh, the banquette wall where it's totally overgrown with these plants and kind of what you envision in, you know, these uh, documentary or not documentaries, but these sort of shows that you see on like, um, I don't know, like the history channel or something where it, it's, you know, 10 years, 15 years, what's it look like 20 years after humans, you know, and all the buildings are, you know, taken over by plants. And, you know, so that's sort of that idea is sort of human extinction is that final wall. So, it, you know, it is a very pessimistic sort of, you know, uh, design in that way. Um, and, you know, once again, it's not something that's very obvious to people unless you ask me and then I can explain it. And then you kind of have that aha moment, you know, um, but that's more fun to me, you know, um, to have it that way where, you know, the 1% get it, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely an adventure. And I love, I, I love the fact that you leave so much space for the consumer or the person who experiences your art to interpret it for themselves. Because I think that's the whole point of art. It's like a relationship. It's a relationship between the creator and then the person who perceives it. And there's so many different ways that they can go. And there's so many different meanings that can be found and taken away. Uh, but it certainly is, is really fun to have the creator themselves explain their art and, and connect the dots for somebody. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so I want to reflect uh, to you kind of my, my impression of Neon Tiger. I know like you probably heard me speak excitedly about it for a few times now, but also for the listeners and maybe who haven't been there yet. I mean, first of all, I definitely encourage you to uh, explore it. I think having lived in Charleston for several years and being vegan and now moving to Atlanta where I'd say we're quite spoiled with the vegan scene. There are significantly more restaurants of all different types here, but still nothing like Neon Tiger exists here. Um, I don't think I've ever had a restaurant in Charleston uh, that I was like, okay, if you like go to Charleston, you must go there. And, and regardless if you're a vegan or not, but especially if you're a vegan. And now I do. And like, this is a must, must go. Neon Tiger is a must go if you're in Charleston. Um, and then another thing that I kind of picked up from your concept and where you were going with that and how, you know, friendly this space is, that it is your cocktail bar. It's clean. It's, uh, it's really, it, it, it's rich with meaning. Uh, but then it also, it doesn't like impose on you a specific cuisine or it doesn't impose veganism on you so it's open to everybody you can come in it has wonderful bar regardless of cocktails or mocktails it has a really cool menu and it's not your you know 
it's, I mean, sprouts are great and healthy foods and smoothies are great. But a lot of times if you're vegan, this is like the, your only choices. You either find a smoothie bar for the morning, or maybe there is like some kind of like a vegan pizza or something, or, you know, vegan chicken fried chicken and, uh, and, and fried chicken and fries in the evening. But a lot of times those, those places, especially like in smaller cities, they're like, they're just like a small corner or like a hole in the wall where it's the atmosphere doesn't always live up. And us vegans being, you know, very supportive crowd and dedicated, dedicated crowd, we will go like miles and miles outside of the city to find that vegan restaurant. Or we will sit there regardless of, you know, what it looks like on the inside. But if you're trying to like seduce somebody else or introduce somebody else veganism uh, to veganism, like it's, it becomes quite challenging. But I think Neon Tiger, for me at least, it completely transcends all of those potential barriers because it is so welcoming to anybody it is so open-minded and diverse with both both food and drink it is it looks impeccable inside it's fun it's an adventure and it happens to be vegan and I think when you lead with that you're opening the conversation and you're able to attract so much more people who are who are not just as you said preaching to the choir and I think that's that's where the change happens so I'm so incredibly excited that you know you you are on the journey that you are that you had the the guts and the courage uh, in you to open up this restaurant and go kind of against the grain in the Charleston and I absolutely have hope and and encourage that our followers and, and vegan listeners and non-vegan listeners go and support the work that you do because we all really really need it well thank you tina i, I really appreciate it I, I think you you know in talking there you reminded me sort of um of something that i didn't mention that i will and and that is the menu itself and why it is what it is um you know it's it's this idea that you know, we are in that time that I told you 2048, it's, you know, we understand that we can't eat animals anymore and whether or not we're not eating animals because we, um, because we've decided ethically not to eat animals, which once again, I don't have a whole lot of faith in humans or, you know, th that we'll ever get to that point, but, um, th we just, we can't afford to anymore because maybe the government stopped subsidizing it because they realized that they, you know, $38 billion towards, basically destroying our planet every year is not a good idea. Um, but uh, in subsidies, um, but it's this idea that, you know, people still want these items, you know, they still want a pepperoni pizza. They still want a chicken sandwich. They still want a Reuben. They still want sh fried shrimp. They want calamari. Uh, they want Mac and cheese. They want all these comfort foods in a very uncomfortable time, you know? So that's sort of the idea behind the food being what it is. And, you know, it's, it's such an, it's such an interesting you know, one of the, one of the questions that you get, you know, as a vegan so many times, or, or, you know, one of the, I guess, you know, there's a lot of little arguments out there that, 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 uh, fearful non-vegans like to bring up, you know, and that one of them is, well, why are you making food? You know, why are you making, you know, food look like food that's, you know, whatever. And the idea is because you're trying to show people that they don't, they don't have to sacrifice anything. Right. So they can have all those things. They can have the burgers, they can have everything that they want to have, but it doesn't have to come from suffering. And uh, I think Neon Tiger has done an incredible job and Doug McNish has done an incredible job of create, of showing that, you know, of showing that you, that, that, you know, one of our hashtags that we, that we put underneath all of our Instagram posts is sacrifice nothing. 
Um, and because you truly do not have to sacrifice being vegan. And, and I think that that's another important thing to talk about uh, and not that we need to get into it too much, but <clears throat> just that, you know, one of the, if there's anything funny at all about veganism, which there isn't, but if there is, it's how hard people will fight against it. And they just, how, how ironic that is because the food is so much better than the alternative, you know? And your life is so much better than it was before. And it's, it's incredible how hard people will fight against something that will truly change their life in such an incredible way. And I, I think that ultimately is why vegans don't shut up about it. It's because we're trying to help. We are trying to help, you know, not just the animals. We're trying to help people as well. You know, we're trying to help humans and we're trying to help them see that there is a better life out there. You know, there's a, such a better life and we only have one life to live. And why not make it the best possible one that we can make it? And the first step in that journey is veganism. It is so well said. And I can also so much relate to you. I mean, I think once I first learned about, you know, the true, the impact of that, that veganism can make and, and of not of the cost of doing nothing. I remember I just had like, had, I, like my chest was like exploding. I, I, I just wanted to get on top of the mountain and scream to everybody about all of the wonderful things that they could achieve with just like switching to a different lifestyle, to a vegan lifestyle. And it was like such a no brainer for me. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I've learned to channel my extreme emotions and things that are a little, bit, a little bit more productive than just like having my hair stand up straight and like yelling at people. <laughs> but I completely can understand and relate. And, and for those who, you know, I'm sure others can relate as well who are vegan already, but for people who are not, it's just when you, when you, you know, learn that there is like literally a, a pill that can, you know, has absolutely zero, zero side effects. It costs nothing. It, and it's, it, but there's like all of these benefits and it's like, it's a no brainer. Like you want to tell everybody about, about that. And there's so much needless suffering in this world. So anything that we can do to make this world just a little bit warmer, just a little bit kinder to each other and to all the other sentient beings, this is, this is a responsibility that we bear that we have to take. Without a doubt, a responsibility. And, um, you, you know, you, you couldn't have said any better. I mean, that is, that is absolutely what it is. It's an obligation, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and it, it certainly is for me. Um, and I'll spend the rest of my life speaking up for the animals because I could never, I could never pay them back. You know, there's no way that I could ever pay them for the suffering that I caused but I can do everything that I possibly can to try to make up for it. Mm, I love that. Well, I'm sure we'll be seeing each other again in that case. I love that. Um, John, thank you so much for your time. I feel like I've taken a ton of your time already and we spoke about all of the amazing things. I just want to public acknowledge the fact that if you ever come to Atlanta, please let me know, let us know. We'll, we'll take you around. We'll visit some cool restaurants. We'll go to Farm Sanctuary. We have an amazing dedicated vegan community would that would absolutely love to meet you so we should definitely plan something like that i would um, love to plan that for real like seriously i would love to and just under the 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 idea of looking for locations for neon tiger maybe that would be fun 
hell yeah. Oh, yes, we should, we should definitely do that. Um, well, I want to start wrapping it up. Um, first of all, there's a final question that I'll ask you uh, at the end that I ask everybody. But before that, are there any other things that you want to talk about that we haven't touched on or any, any messages that you want to share with listeners? Wow. Um, there's so much. You know? <laughs> we could talk and for hours. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's, there's just so much information um, out there. But, you know, I can, I can promise you this, that if you have a heart and a brain, if you knew 25% of what I know about animal agriculture, you would be vegan. That's about the only thing that I can say, you know? Um, I, I would love to go into all of it, you know? Uh, but I think that, um, you know, clearly we don't have the time. No one has the time for that. But it is, um, it, it is, it is the greatest, um, it's the greatest injustice that, that, uh, and it's the greatest injustice and the most destructive force ever unleashed on our planet. That's about the best way that I can say it. Yeah, that's really impactful. That's definitely something to reflect upon. And if you want more, come to Neon Tiger and Colin John to chat with him while you ate those awesome calamaris, pizzas, and desserts that, that he has in the menu. <laughs> Um, so the, the last question that I usually wrap up with, and uh, as, as I kind of alluded to earlier, kindness is something that I aspire to be, to get better at every single day. And I, I as one of the ways that I try to do that is by um, exploring what kindness means for other, for other people and just learning more from awesome, inspired, passionate individuals you're, like yourself. Um, so tell me what, how do you see kindness and what does kindness mean to you? Wow. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think, you know, the, the, the simplest explanation is something that, you know, we've all heard a thousand times in our life, which is, you know, to do unto others. Right. Um, you know, I think that's first and foremost. Um, but you know, wow, it's a, it's, it's a good question. Um, I would say that kindness is first and foremost, you know, and, and I said this earlier, that was something that I was working on, you know, in, in, in a roundabout way, but it's just understanding that, that we're all coming from different places and, um, you know, we don't necessarily know how anyone else's brain is wired as much as we want to think that, oh, you know, we give them the information and then of course they're going to act on the information and then I can move on to the next person, you know, um, you know, let's just say, for example, you know, we're talking about veganism or, or whatever, but, um, you know, I think, um, I think it, it's, uh, it's just thinking about how you would want to be treated and, and hopefully trying to, uh, to, to treat others in that way. You know, I mean, I don't know how else to say it really. Um, you know, I think kindness is something that, that inherently comes to me because of, um, because I, I, I believe that I am somewhere on this spectrum of empath, you know, 
So, um, you know, I think that being that being, being an empath in that way, I think that you naturally don't ever want anyone to feel uncomfortable or, uh, to feel bad, you know, because you understand and you ultimately will feel that feeling as well. Right. So it's like by making someone feel bad, you ultimately make yourself feel bad. So, you know, and that kind of goes back to, to pretty much anything and everything that we talk about or have talked about and, and kind of my, my thoughts on my thoughts on what we do to animals. And that is that no matter what it is that we're doing to animals, we ultimately are doing that to ourselves. Um, it, you know, there's a, there, there is a book that I would urge everyone to read and it's um, so powerful that you can really only read one chapter at a time. Um, at least that's, has been my experience. And um, it also has been others experiences when I've turned them on to the book. Um, but it's, um, it is by a, a, an incredible man uh, named Will Tuttle. And the book is The World Peace Diet. And if you read this book, if you're looking for a way to transition to veganism and it's difficult for you for any reason, I would tell you two things. The first is to make it about the animals. When you make it about the animals and it's not about you or the environment, now that's saying those aren't two great reasons, but those are reasons that you will end up, you know, kind of cheating for, right? But when it's about the animals and not wanting to cause suffering, it's over. If you go vegan for, you know, I've always said that if you're vegan, that you're vegan, if it's for the animals and you are plant-based, if it's for, you know, yourself or for the, or for the environment, you know? So I would say that's the first and foremost, very, very simple. It's literally a switch in your mind. You literally switch it and go, I'm not going to cause suffering anymore. I'm not going to be the reason for these animals suffering. If I wouldn't want to be in their position, I how could I morally justify being the reason that they're in that position, right? That's the first thing. And the second is to read the world peace diet because it will tell you every single thing you need to know. And not only that, it will go very deep into how we got here and how imperative it is that we end it. I love it. John, thank you so, so much for your time. Thank you for sitting down and having the conversation for me. Thank you for your dedication, resilience, for being so honest and open. And thank you so much for all the amazing work that you're doing and all the cool pizzas that you're cooking up. Oh, well, thank you so much. I, I'm seriously, I'm, I'm uh, honored to be on here and to be talking to you. And, and hopefully we've, you know, reached someone today. And uh, that's, you know, that's my, that's, and uh, I had such a great time. Thank you so much. I did as well. I did as well, John. For many more to come, I'm very excited for our listeners to listen to this one, uh, but I'm sure it's not going to be our last conversation. So for those listening, yes, I encourage you to go check out Neon Tiger. And John, I can't wait for you to make it to Atlanta to, for, for a vegan tour here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>